Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we talk to Dr. Tom Caltabalata of the City by the Sea Veterinary. You may recall hearing Dr. Tom's name during our recent conversation with DJ and Jamie from Catsbury Park, so we reached out to the man himself to find out how he became a vet and how he ended up in Asbury Park. Spoiler alert, there's a long road trip from Rutgers University through Louisiana to Alabama and back to New Jersey. But what we really want to know is, what is it like to be Asbury Park's favorite veterinarian? Welcome, Dr. Tom. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark. So subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. From Route 35 to Convention Hall, Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. It's March 27th. We want to welcome our listeners to Asbury Pod. It's actually um, March 21st. <laughs> it's March 21st. <laughs> it's, it's another day in this pandemic. Um, so uh, we just want to welcome everybody back. We want to thank Dr. Tom from City by the Sea Vet for joining us today. And I'm going to tell you a little bit why you're on, Dr. Tom, beyond the fact that you are my amazing vet for... Um, two of my dogs, one of which is quite the biter. Um, so uh, the one of the reasons you're on, Dr. Tom, is one, it was Joe's idea that I'm now going to take credit for, but he, um, we had Catsbury on, and we should just start this off before you even do an intro and talk about, one, the fact that you have, um, you know, volunteered or greatly discounted your services for Catsbury for the last four or five years, and that um, they were so appreciative and... Um, just yeah. couldn't, couldn't say lovelier things about you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on and, uh, hello everyone. Uh, this is my <laughs> first podcast. I'm a big podcast fan. So I was like telling all my friends and family, Oh, I, I have to leave early. I'm going to be on a pad- podcast as a guest, <laughs> a very important podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited. Um, but yeah, Catsbury park has been, well, say huge... who you are first, Dr. Tom, just for our, so for our listeners. I, I'm a veterinarian and I opened a clinic in Asbury Park called City by the Sea Vet. Um, and um, we opened in 2018 tentatively and then had our official opening just at the end of 2018, almost into 2019. Um, and uh, we teamed up with Catsbury before we even opened just to. Um, get some exposure in this city. You know, we saw the great things that they were doing while they were, before they even opened their cafe, just kind of being in the, uh, in the trenches and, and, and doing a lot of uh, TNR type work with DJ. 
And, you know, as a new business owner, um, you're reluctant to sometimes work with rescues because they're reliant on donors. And so it's, it's always tough as a new business to say like, and that's why we become veterinarians because we're compassionate for animals, you know, and we want to help all animals, not just, you know, the animals that are pets to people's homes, the feral ones too, the ones you can't touch the, the old ones, the young ones, everything. Uh, but you know, as a new business owner, barely staying afloat, it's tough when you're working with rescue sometimes because you want to make sure, obviously at the end of it all, you're going to be able to pay your staff. You're going to be able to pay for what your expenses are, but it has been such a huge win-win for us. Uh, and obviously for Catsbury, because we could, we could be their vet and hopefully we give them as much as they give us. Um, but yeah, it's really helped us grow as a business. And this relationship I feel like is only getting better and better um, by being able to work with them. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been very fortunate. I totally, uh, I'm very fortunate to have sat down with them and say like, yeah, we're going to, you know, be their partner and, and kind of grow with them. Uh, there's been some really stressful times. There's been some mo- more, you know, highs than lows with this relationship, but it's, it's only gotten better. And I hope we can take it to the next level in the next couple of years with some hopefully exciting news that, that we can talk about over the, the next coming month, coming, coming months as, as things become a little more official. And Dr. Tom, so you guys um, opened up in 2018 um, and we're, and you, here's the dish. So the reason you work with Catsbury before they opened up is because the city gave them such a hard time opening up yeah. because we didn't know what the hell it was. It was like, you're opening a what? <laughs> right. And what zoning law is that? And <laughs> that, that was part of the reason that they had a hard time opening up. We just, we yeah, couldn't yeah. figure out I, what yeah. it was. It didn't, it, it didn't matter though. I mean, I feel like, and even now, you know, as, as the businesses were closing and not letting people uh, indoors for for the type of business that they are, they continued to save, you know, tens of, you know, or hundreds of, of cats and, and continue to do what they were doing. And DJ worked so hard and Jamie worked so hard to, to, you know, set out what they do, what they set out to do from the start, which is, you know, obviously try, as, try and find as many homes for these, for these poor cats as, as possible. And they do a great job. I don't know how they do it. Um, you know, I, it, probably so easy to get burned out with that kind of thing when you're when you're such a small group relying on fosters and volunteers to do what you do but somehow they you know they've continued to do it for by keeping their main goal of just saving as many animals as possible uh, at the forefront of their mission which is great I only recently started following Jamie's Instagram feed and I'm already stressed and exhausted by the work. Oh my God. Did you see her blow drying a cat the other morning? And it was like, Oh, Jamie. Well, because those are, those tiny (laughs) ones are so fragile. They're so fragile and they may not live. Right. so, but she's still putting a hundred percent effort in. So, you know, just watching them, it's like, Oh, this work is hard to do. It's hard, emotional work, hard physical work. And the time she's putting in, she's posting the feeding, you know, ridiculous hours. It's a tough job. Yeah. Oh, ridiculous hours. Those, those poor, kittens you know that are probably only weeks old abandoned um they're reliant on feeding round the clock every probably three to four hours they need to be fed they can't even pee and poop on their own they need to be stimulated you know and um jamie i think she even has like a little incubator in her in her place now yeah so uh, she's come along she's come a long way but i mean just imagine how how it can be super rewarding but it's also like those cats can go from thriving one day to they don't wake up the next day. You know, that's how mm-hmm. fragile they are. They have zero immune system. 
Um, you know, they really are reliant on being with their mom for the first six to eight weeks of their life. And so Jamie and DJ doing this for them is just, it can be so stressful. So I, I, I don't know how they do it. You know, I, we, when I went to vet school in Alabama, my wife and I dabbled in, in helping rescues and, um, uh, helping out the humane society down there. And it's just like, it is like requires like a hundred percent of your time because you, you, they have your cell phone, you know, someone's going to call. And, and most of the time it's, um, I have this cat or I have this dog in my backyard. It keeps visiting, you know, I want to help, but, uh, I can't make it my responsibility. It's like, okay, well, we'll give you all the tools to help you foster this animal. And we'll, we'll give you all the supplies that you need to take care of it. But most people just, they don't, they don't, they feel like they're doing their part by saying, by alerting the proper authorities, but they, they want it off their property, you know? Right. So it's like, all right, I'm, I'm willing to, to tell you that this animal's here, but I can only do so much to help it, you know? And so I feel like that's kind of where Jamie and DJ are, are with the city of Asbury Park. I think they need more volunteers. They need more, even outside of Asbury Park. I think we have, we've had fosters pick up animals from like Freehold Township or like 20, 30 minutes away. So yeah, I feel like um, you know, the, the more the more we can do to help them, at least with exposure, obviously it comes back to help us too as a business, you know? Yeah, no, they're amazing. But I, I have to go into one. We're going to talk about kind of the, the animal rescuing fatigue because we talked about that a little bit with them. And I assume some of that applies. Um, yeah. I assume a lot of that applies probably to you, but I just want to go backtrack a little bit. Uh, grew up in Long Branch. Just tell us a, a little yeah. bit. You grew up in Long Branch. You have to yes, touch Long on Branch. Rutgers because mm-hmm. Joe works at Rutgers. Okay. Um, cool. <laughs> and then Alabama. So take us through if you hit those three. Yeah. Three, so so oh, man. get a background. Via LSU. Right? Yeah, LSU too. It's been a crazy long journey for me yeah. and my wife. My wife and I, we met uh, at Rutgers. So yeah, uh, Shore Regional, West Long Branch, um, Brookdale first. Um, two years Brookdale, five years, no, three years at Rutgers. So, and then got it real into research, was working with horses a lot. Um, kind of interesting. They had a high speed treadmill. So I read can, about that, Dr. Yeah. Tom. I have it on my list of questions to ask you about a high speed treadmill. So, so it was pretty cool. We could study and these, these, these horses, you know, they, they sit out on pasture all day and, uh, but they're still like fit athletes at the core, you know, they get them on the treadmill and we could take them up to a certain speed and measure, uh, you know, where, oxygen this is so wrong it was something about like where oxygen demand is is meeting carbon dioxide expiration or something like that it's called vo2 max and we could then pertain that to racehorses basically because they're running at you know they're fit athletes but they are running at basically giving everything they got and study different things while they're running so it was, it was super cool um and uh yes yeah, so moved on from there continued working with horses um from the exercise side of things moved on to uh reproduction i studied um uh insulin resistance which is a uh, uh, sort of like diabetes in horses that that they get so i went and did uh, a master's degree at lsu for that um got exposed to southern cooking and crawfish that was super fun in new orleans which i loved and then um decided that i didn't want to work in research anymore and didn't want to work with horses because i wanted to get back to jersey and i hated being outside in the cold and um also you know the whole potentially getting kicked in the head and all that working around horses that didn't excite me too much anymore either and decided at that time my wife was already in vet school so she was kind of telling me about all the fun stuff that she was doing decided to apply new jersey doesn't have a vet school we used to have contracts at the schools around the country there's i think 26 or 27 of them now 
And um, they had cut that program. So we were put in with the rest of the out-of-state applicants, you know, where they were maybe accepting five or six uh, in their whole pool. Um, so I applied to like 12 of them, spent thousands. I actually didn't get in the first try. I moved to Philadelphia trying to get into Penn to be an in-state resident. That didn't happen. Uh, finally got into a school in Alabama called Tuskegee, um, which is a, um, an HBCU college. So that was another very kind of rewarding and eye-opening opportunity uh, to, to be at such a historic institute um, and spent four, my four years there, again, exposed to Southern living and uh, came back home, did a one-year internship, which is not required by veterinarians, but it kind of sets you ahead of, of most new grads just because you're working with specialists, you're working in a high volume um, pretty high stress job where it's at a referral hospital. So it's a garden state vet specialist in uh, Titan Falls over here. And uh, then started doing house calls. I knew I wanted to open my own business and uh, didn't really have the funding to do it and didn't really know how to run a business. Um, but started to do house calls, did a lot of um, uh, house call euthanasias, which was uh, sounds really sad and awful, but it was also very you can see just how different surrounded by the scents and sounds and just the people around them versus in their own home. And so it was, it was so special to be able to, you know, have an animal. We, we still, we want to do more of those just with COVID. It's been so awful. Um, I was doing a lot of house call euthanasias and developing a clientele that way, way too, because their new animals a year or two after putting a previous animal to sleep was a new puppy that they would bring to me at whatever clinic I was at at the time. Cause I was also doing relief work at like four or five different hospitals. And I always knew Asbury Park was where I wanted to be because we were living in Asbury at the time. And there's no vet, you know, technically. Um, but I mean, such a young and vibrant population with, with animals. So, I mean, you just have to drive into Asbury and you'll see five or six of them just being walked. Um, and, you know, not, very pampered looking animals, very well taken care of animals and probably going to veterinarians in the surrounding town. So yeah, this was originally, this was the plan for the press, probably six, maybe seven years to open a clinic in Asbury Park. And I just had to hold on long enough so that somebody didn't beat me to it. And again, very fortunate <laughs> to have done it and growing and hopefully growing even more in, in over the next 10, you know, 20 years, this is going to be, this is our home. This is where we're established. So we now feel like we're like part of the community and we want to, again, continue to just nurture that relationship with everyone. So. Tom, I wanted to talk a bit uh, to go back and reiterate something about how difficult it is to get into vet school. So there's actually currently, currently uh, you mentioned 26. Uh, there's actually 33 now. I, can't, I, I went. And yeah, I thought I was a bit off. There's, there's been a few more. There's a couple, a couple added, but it's mm -hmm. shocking that, you know, um, you know, how undervalued veterinary sciences at the university level is compared to you. There's 155 MD schools in the country. There's 36 DOs plus others. You know, there's just 33 vet schools, but there's 50 states worth of pets. <laughs> Residents, you know, every town in the country needs a vet because there's pets everywhere. So it's shockingly complicated um, to get in. And the competition is even, you know, um, harder than in med school because of the numbers, you know, yeah. and, um, it, and which drives up your costs too, right? So it's just really a burden to become a vet. Like to become a vet, you really have to really want to be a vet because there's so many roadblocks. You can't be, you know, you could be easily forgiven me saying, you know, this isn't going to work out. It's just, I don't have the energy to fight this uphill battle just to become a vet. You yeah. know, and to have gone through uh, LSU first, by the way, I noticed that you mentioned LSU and a love of football. 
because of that. Um, and uh, anyway, coming from Rutgers as a Rutgers employee, yeah, we never had that. Well, we had a brief window of that for a while. Yeah, I was there when they had that window. Yeah, <laughs> regrettably, it was Ray Rice, but you know, yeah, that's yeah, sure. Yeah, Ray. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, but I guess maybe I don't have to say. It. Maybe I just said it. Like you reiterated that point. Yeah. Like how how challenging yeah. it is to become a vet. And so to have you and your wife both, uh, you know, land within one of the U.S. Uh, vet systems, that's a really a, a challenging yeah, we- thing. You touched on probably a fraction of the challenging parts of, of being a veterinarian. You know, uh, most of us, again, we become vets because we're compassionate for animals mm. and uh, we trusted the most trusted nurses. I think we're above clergy. Um, <laughs> so we, we have a lot of compassion, but with that comes that compassion fatigue, which is pretty much everything you just summed up mm-hmm. uh, with, with a word, you know? Um, we have high debt, pretty Mm -hmm. low income for the, for the debt to income ratio. Um, and, uh, yeah, fees are, fees are one thing, but most veterinarians are pretty underappreciated. We, um, we have to charge for our services. It is a business. Um, that is the most challenging part of being a veterinarian, but again, just to get there. Yes. is super challenging. Um, you know, especially coming from Jersey, I was competing with 4.0s. You almost have to have other things in your resume or your CV to, to back mm-hmm. it up when you don't have the perfect grades. And honestly, you know, the, the veterinarians that I am interviewing now, I don't want the 4.0s because I, I know the 4.0s and I, I, you know, I worked with some of them. And they're, they don't make the best veterinarians. So we probably have a huge chunk of pre-vet students that will never make it to vet school that could probably make great veterinarians, but because they did crappy in their physics class, we'll never even, we'll never even know. Um, but yeah. You, know, I, um, I wanted to, yeah I, you mentioned something. I wanted to, I was an advisor. When I first started working for Rutgers, I, I was, uh, worked for University College, which used to have uh, this post-baccalaureate pre-med program for adults coming back when they go to med school. And that was the refrain. Med school, med schools even don't always want 4.0 people because not that they're not good students, but they're like, they don't trust the 4.0 science person. Someone's really super good in physics. Can they talk to somebody who's not being forthcoming about what's wrong with them? Like they need community. So they'll take an English major with a a three, five uh, who Mm -hmm. did okay in the sciences because they can sort of help communicate uh, with the patient better and do diagnosis. Not, not across the board, but I thought, you you mentioned i just thought it was interesting that you said the same thing for vets you need some other skills to bring to the table rather than textbook right. skills right i remember a girl that went to Rutgers, and she probably did she i think she had perfect grades but she only wanted to be a cat veterinarian and she <laughs> don't talk to anybody she, i remember we would even try to like reach out because we were a very small community in pre-vet uh mm-hmm. or just like animal science and and working in small groups i remember somebody introduced themselves to her and she said i'm not here to make friends I'm here to learn. And she shut everybody out. And she, I, I could never see that person like sitting in an exam room, like having a very serious conversation with a client about like something very serious because, you know, they get so textbook crazy that they become kind of so. Well, well, but especially you mentioned before, like when you're euthanizing a, a beloved pet, it's the humans that are the problem. Yeah, you know, so yes, the, the 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 pets are at the end of the line. But at the like, so just to give you an example, before you, uh, Doctor Tom, before you opened your uh, business, you know, we have two cats, and so we're clients of a, of a neighboring vet down the 
down the road here who are great people, right? Um, but we had to euthanize a kitten for FIP and it, Rita and I fell apart. <laughs> we had just bought the kitten. We were like, oh, and uh, we had such a, like a, not a bad mouth. I'm just, but we, you know, we wept a bit that, that the staff still were like, oh yeah, we remember that cat. <laughs> not because the cat was so extraordinary, but like our grief in the room. So it's gotta be tough for you guys. Yeah. So if you're just a science person, how do you work with someone? It's the humans that are falling apart. So there was probably about 10 seconds of while you were talking that I, you froze up, but I think I got the gist of what you were saying. Oh, um, oh sorry. No, no, it's, it might be my connection. Uh, the, uh, yeah, that is something that you, it really can't be taught in school. Um, we, and I didn't, I guess I, I didn't realize what a big part of the job that was going to be until, you know, you're out there doing this because some people are terrible. And that's, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that, Amy, when you were telling when you were um, in your initial email where you're saying you wanted to talk about how our business is done during COVID, that's been one of the most challenging parts is not seeing people and not being able to read people and not being able to like, you know, evaluate their body language while you're telling them or delivering some very difficult news and then determining, you know, um, can I, do I need to hold their hand more or do I need to move on? Do I need to, um, you know, how aggressive can I be with the testing or, or whatever it is that I'm trying to accomplish without losing them, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that's something that is, is definitely grown, I guess, over the years that they, we didn't teach, you know, that they didn't teach us at all in vet school is just like learning how to be little psychologists in the room while they're telling us, because nobody knows the, the most common question is, of course, you know, like, you know, how do I know when it's time? And so, you know, I discuss like a criteria with a lot of pet owners of just like, good days, bad days, you know, and, um, and, and what they used to do with their pets that used to make them real happy. And, uh, and we, tr we try to make a list and so many pet owners are adapting their lives for their pets. Like we have pet owners that push their pets around in wheelchairs that carry them around, you know, up and down the stairs, they put diapers on them. It's like some of them, I have to really discuss mm. like what quality of life is because for them, that's good quality of life, you know? And, mm -hmm. and that becomes a very challenging conversation, especially when I'm talking to them on the phone because they're in the car uh, in front of our clinic, you know? Um, I don't know how, Dr. Tom, I don't know how. So I have, you know, I've had, I had one, I, I've had several pets and I still have two dogs that I adore, but I had one dog that I had had from 20 to 35. So every like major point in my life, that dog had been a part of it. Yeah. Um, and Joe knows this. I lived in the Santander all that time. And, and my dog ended up die me rushing my dog to Garden State and it died in the elevator. Mm. So, oh, yeah, it was awful. So and to, to your point, I used to pick him up. He was a pointer mix and carry him to Yappy Hour and then put him down. And I remember <laughs> a friend of mine, Jill, I remember me and Heather saying to our friend Jill at the time, it's a good day. It's a good day today. And, and Jill being like, this isn't a good day. <laughs> yeah, people, they move that line. You know, it's tough. You know, I, I oh, and really we also not know that didn't stop there. We then looked because the elevator was always going out in the Santander. So we started looking for a one floor house because we were like, you know what? We got to get a one floor house because he can't get up and down these stairs and this elevator keeps going out. So we went searching for a one floor house. 
And, and so I bring this point up for a couple of reasons. I don't know how you talk to people like me during at that stage of grief where, where I kid you not, when it was happening, I thought, I'll tell you other people in my life who can die if you save this dog. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'll give you a list of family yeah. members, but you got to save this dog for me. I, so I don't know how you talk to people like that. And then I had another dog that I had to put to sleep, that we had to make the decision and put to sleep. And either dying on you in the elevator or making the decision. Um, so I've had to do both. They're both the most awful, 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 awful yes. experience yeah. to have to, to have yeah. to do. And that's part of the a big part of the conversation that we have when because you know, we can start to I can see an animal coming in at 1415, you know, hopefully 1415, where you get to a point where you look at a certain animal and you're like, there's not much left that I can do here. And, and a pet owner either has to like, that's the conversation that we have to have, you know, we're beyond palliative care, you know, there's, cause there's some, a lot of, it's always, I have to understand the pet owner to understand again. And this is another part of why COVID has been so challenging. I really need to understand and have a relationship with them where they trust me, you know, and, and, and where my advice is going to guide them because everybody's different. Like I'm, if I bring an animal in here, they train me in vet school that I have to do these tests and treat with this type of therapy and go through these diagnostics to start ruling out all these diseases for these pets. But all this pet owner wants is for his dog to like eat a meal without puking every day or, you know, making it outside down the two steps to go to the bathroom and then back inside. You know, that's different. They don't, that's, that's the different conversation where it's more like, I just want my pet to be comfortable. He just wants, we just want to go to rate yappy hour. You know, that's the only thing that he loves to do. And so we reach that point, you know, that's, that's why we have to have these long conversations to say like, I'm going to do what it takes to get your pet to go to yappy hour every day happily. But when I've exhausted these measures, then we have to make an agreement now that, that we are going to say that it is time. And we circle back to that, you know? Uh, and yes, it's such a hard conversation, but, but when we've developed that relationship where they trust me, um, they, they believe it and they are, they're at peace with it as well, where they don't feel like, had I just given it one more day, have, have we done this? Have we spent this thousands of dollars? It would have been different, you know, cause we've already had that conversation. Um, but yeah, super difficult, super, super difficult. And so difficult having to, having to make this decision talk, talking to people on the phone, right? Cause you normally, I would sit in your office. You would right. take me through my options. You would see where I'm at on the grief scale or realization scale. Like I can tell you now at 44, I'm much better at being like, okay, we have another year, maybe year and a half, but at 34 and my dog that I'd had for this years, you, whatever it took, that dog was, you know, we'd been together a long time and we were staying together a long yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and your values change too. Like, you know, we have a two-year-old now, a, a human, and, <laughs> and we have two 14-year-old dogs. And five years ago, oh my goodness, my dogs were going to make it to 20. We were going to do everything for them. I mean, and it changes because uh, we, we say this now, my wife and I, that we, you know, we just want our, our pets to live out their days peacefully and, and pain-free. But my, you know, with the two-year-old, the dogs take a bit of a backseat and, and they're being tortured by the two-year-old now as 14-year-olds, <laughs> which is super fun for them. Um, so yeah, you, you start to also feel there's some guilt in there too, that like you don't recognize some of the signs that they were telling you maybe six months ago. You know, my dog Whistler uh, through the beginning of COVID was puking like every other day, but we would just throw them outside 
Um, they'd run around the backyard. I wasn't seeing, you know, I, I think about this when I ask clients questions like, you know, about the consistency of their stool. Like I didn't know what my dog was doing in the backyard. Um, and so, yeah, you feel so guilty too, that when you finally do realize that your pet is very sick, some of it is, um, some of it is helpful for the pet owners, uh, almost like a reconciliation that they feel like they have to spend a certain amount of money or do certain number of diagnostic tests or do certain tests to realize, to be satisfied with the decision, you know, as opposed to some people that just come and say, I know my dog, I know he's sick. Today's the day. Some people are, have that level of realism. Uh, others, they almost like have to, con I think that's where maybe you at, at, with your pet from 20 to 30 and now your pets from 30 to 44, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a different relationship. And so that's, again, more stuff they didn't teach us in vet school to have these conversations, but you know, I, I feel like I derailed the conversation to the most saddest part of being a vet. And I was just Wait trying to get tune out listeners. By I know, now. Because I, I was trying to make a point about, you know, the soft skills needed for being a vet. And this is one of the things I was like, I, you know, I went right to the end. I feel terrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we, we, and we, we thought about, you know, we're big into like social media now and we're always showing puppies, 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 kittens, kittens, kittens. And everybody just sees all the fun stuff we do every day, which is mm -hmm. partially just to like, you know, let, let people know that their pets are being taken care of when they come into our clinic. Um, but it's also the things that really do make us happy, but it's not just that, you know, it's, it's all these gray beards, gray faces that are coming into our, our clinic too. And we, we are showcasing them as well. Um, I love seeing some, like some of those distinguished older dogs that have gray <laughs> yes, in the face. Right. They're, they're so calm sometimes, you know, they're, you know, they're very interesting. Yeah. I was saying Catsbury, I had volunteered for the Humane Society for a number of years. And yeah. so because of that experience, I, pointers are probably my favorite breed and, and my wife loves spaniels. But because of that experience, I will just always get a pit. And you know, you treat Walter, one of my pits, yeah. who's, yep. who's a very sweet dog, but has a huge head and a big jaw and makes a lot of noise and scares anybody yeah, who walks by him. But so it's it, so from so the the experience that I've had is like I'll just always get a pit because I know how quick they're put down I know how they fill up shelters yeah. so what one of my questions for you was kind of you know if you had to name us your most misunderstood <laughs> pet misunderstood oh my goodness yeah pipples are up at the top you know Dobermans are definitely up there um, <laughs> oh my goodness so oh, I'm stumping so you already. The toughest part is all these purebred breeds that come in and folks will always oh ask, my God. what is, what is the perfect animal that you would get? And the immediately, the only thing that my wife and I always think of is like the top five diseases that they're most prone to getting or so jaded, I guess. So yeah, we, we, we love the mixed breeds, you know, big, small, misunderstood shepherds, uh, people, shepherds and huskies, people think mm. that they could just bring them into their homes and they are so not prepared to take care for these of these brilliant animals that they don't realize how much care they need and how much stimulation they need. And they totally, totally, I'd say eight out of 10 of them fail because they need to be in training every day. They need a job. They need to be stimulated. Otherwise, they're all on Prozac. They're all on anxiety meds. Hmm. They're all aggressive and you can't read them. I can read a pit bull. Uh, they come in, you know, if they're looking at me like they're nervous, they're scared, I might get a growl, I might get a look. Pitbulls have this look where they just like look into your soul and you can be <laughs> a little apprehensive, but you can't be apprehensive because then they can feel that too. 
So you almost have to go in with confidence. But shepherds, Wheatons, although they're less understood, they're just mean most of the time. Shepherds, um, and uh, the reason I say shepherds uh, is just because they're so intelligent. And, and, and huskies too, they're so intelligent that they just do not get the care from these people that just want a, a, a breed that is, is pretty to look at, but needs so much work. So I guess that's unfortunately my best hmm. answer for misunderstood. Yeah. I, you know, the Huskies, I had friends who had, uh, who were, who were good Husky owners. They had property, yeah. they were exercised, they were mm-hmm. outside, but it was almost still not enough exercise yeah. for the Huskies. Like, so when left alone, the two, like they lived out in a and I don't think I'm violating privacy since nobody knows what we're talking about there, but their, their dogs got off the property, went and killed a neighbor sheep, like, oh my God. like two, five miles over yeah. uh, because they had, you know, they just, just, just what they do. Right. And so the, the, they were the greatest dogs. They're super smart, but they're also like, we're outside. It's snowing. We don't want to come in. <laughs> you know? So a good, a big challenge for an owner. So if you bring them to your, your condo, maybe that's not a good choice, right? <laughs> Yeah. Like, and that's, that's a perfect example, right? This dog shouldn't be like condo, you know, it's not, it's not going to work. Um, yeah. It's so there's some of the most challenging dogs to work with too, just because, you know, you want everybody to be safe. It's just, yeah, I, I would take a pip. My wife, I, if she was here, she would tell you the same thing. It's like the most challenging breed to work with is, uh, is these shepherds and these big dogs that they can literally kill you, you know, if you're not careful um, and you need to be able to read them everybody, you know, your technicians, your assistants, your receptionists, everybody coming in the door. And it's, it's also interesting how when we meet the pet owner associated with that breed too, how similar they sometimes are too. Just like they, they have developed this whole like personality that goes with this breed. Um, sometimes That's hysterical. Yeah, well, sometimes yeah, sometimes they're just as anxious as their pets too, which is interesting. Like they're, they're always the ones that don't want to give up their pet to go inside. He's got to be with me. He's, he's going to lose his mind. And we're like, no. You're, most of them do great away from their pet owners too, because they just don't feel like they have to protect them, and they they just kind of like freeze up on us, you know. But <laughs> it makes you wonder how many how many dogs are on Prozac would be better if it was their owners that were on Prozac. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny. <laughs> as soon as we bring up anxiety meds with a lot of these clients, they're like, wait a minute. You know, I have that at home. <laughs> yeah, I've got extra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, and then they come in with their, um, their ESA form so that they can uh, fly on, on United and, as, and bring their pet with them to, on vacation. Well, what's also funny to me is like, I always feel like I wish you always just took my dog because I am never going to be, I am going to be very anxious in the room. He's going to be anxious. Just take him and call me when it's done. So like for COVID right now, your pet practice is like perfect for me because I drop him off. You call me when he's done. I pick him up. Right. Uh, but right. I do want to talk so, about COVID a little bit and take us uh-huh. through, okay. um, Dr. Tom. So, so we talk, uh, listen, just from the city perspective, this was a really difficult thing for us to kind of figure out back in January and then February and then March, we were like, oh my God. And I don't know if you know this, but Asbury shut down a bit before the state because we were uh, yeah. getting worried. We were getting really right. worried. Um, so take us through your February, your March and, yeah. and, and how, and how this has affected you. Yeah. Well, um, we didn't, yeah, we didn't know what to do. We, we didn't know where we fit in either, you know, because we're healthcare providers, but, and we're exposed and nobody knew if animals could get sick either and like pass it along to other people. So, so much was, there were so many unknowns at the beginning. Um, we voluntarily just like kind of reduced our hours to, 
um, one doctor, one technician, and one receptionist. And we were we were instructed by the state to um, by the governor to um, um, you know own no elective procedures. We had to conserve all um, uh, uh, personal protective equipment. Um, just in the event that they were going to be needed on the human side. And we were totally, totally open to that. You know, we, we realized that, you know, I didn't need to do this animal's neuter right away or like clean this pet's teeth when we need to conserve oxygen supplies for ventilators and things like that. So yeah, we were, we were on board, but we didn't know what to do. So yeah, we basically, March was just like totally up in the air. Um, and um, we, we reduced our staff. I, I'm a pretty paranoid new business owner. So I, I felt somewhat prepared, at least financially for this kind of thing. You know, we didn't have to, uh, we didn't have to fire anyone. We didn't have to let anyone go. I knew what we could, I knew what we could do to get by. You know, we, 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 we trimmed some, we did let uh, at least one person go just because of poor performance, but had nothing to do with COVID again. Um, but yeah, we, we basically went into survival mode for that first month. And then, uh, we kept my son out of daycare too. So it was just me and another vet working, splitting time, three days a week, three days a week. Um, that, ha- that was going on through April. Um, and then we realized just how busy we were becoming because everyone was at home watching their animals and I guess just like, you know, diagnosing them. Yeah, and also right. people, people were getting more animals. So that's the other what thing. you read about. Yeah, you you yeah. read about which is great from the shelters, but that the shelters were actually getting, yeah. you know, people were adopted. Empty. Um, yeah, I kind of realized that okay, we're to be closed. We're deemed essential. You know, we don't have to let anybody go. Um, we just have to protect ourselves. We should shut our doors. We could experiment with curbside. Um, you know, which oh my goodness, at the beginning was so hard for a lot of pet owners to understand. Like. And that blew my mind because I knew at the time that hospitals, human hospitals were allowing, were not allowing loved ones in to be with their dying spouses, but I'm going to let this person come in, but with their new puppy, just so that they could ask the vet questions. So yeah, no, we, we had no exceptions uh, for that at the beginning. And it was, it was funny how many people were so, uh, une- not, so not able to understand where we were coming from with that. We were having people telling us we're overreacting we're blowing us out of proportion. Um, we probably lost some clients at the beginning because of that, but that was okay. Uh, yeah. And then we, yeah, by, by May, June, um, into summer when businesses started to reopen and they were doing more outdoor stuff, we started to let one pet, one person, one pet in a room at a time. They, everything was going to be done in the treatment area, which was again, difficult for clients, you know, um, uh, they were instructed that they'll have five minutes of my time in a room to ask whatever questions that they want. If they had other questions, they could call me, they could talk by email. Um, and Dr. Tom, I mean, your rooms are so small. So yeah, it's like, why would you want to be in a room in I the middle of COVID? Yeah, that's so, oh, that's so interesting and shocking to me. Like I would never want to be in a small vet room with to other people. No, and we, you know, we, we, my staff is, it's very much a democracy. We have, we have staff meetings twice a month and we, we, we asked them what they were comfortable doing. And at the time, everybody's pretty comfortable. We have a, a, a pretty young staff as it is. So I never felt like everyone was at high risk. Although of course I would have felt totally responsible, of course, if somebody did get sick and that's not a guarantee. Um, but um, everybody was comfortable. They wanted to do this. We wanted to, we were so busy 
clients seem to be on board. They seem comfortable. And we gave them the option, you know, if, if they wanted, if they were more comfortable to be cur- curbside and, and not come in, that was fine. Um, but we felt like other, other practices were doing this successfully and, uh, and it was working for them. Um, and we didn't have a single positive until we had a, a positive case in February. It was our first one. We almost made it the whole year. And it was for something very dumb. Um, you know, some, one of, someone on my staff did something very stupid that was obviously could have been prevented and exposed the whole staff. So we had, we didn't know how to, we, it was our first positive and we, we shut down just because everyone needed a break anyway. Um, and uh, we then, you know, increased our rules and our policies, expanded our employee handbook with more legal jargon, I guess, uh, just to cover our butts. And, um, and so far it's been pretty good. I feel like now we're really trying to encourage everybody to just get vaccinated because I saw recently the, um, I, I don't remember how I got the email, but I think Asbury Park is doing a small business vaccination registry, right? We are. So we, and we have a few. So we actually hired somebody, you know, the vaccination process was a very, very frustrating process for us on the council because we were seeing all these people from Madison going oh, up wow. to Springwood Ave who've oh. never been to Springwood Ave before to get the vaccine at the senior center. So it was driving us nuts. Um, but so we have a few, we have one at the VNA on Main Street. We have a vaccination yeah. center. We have one at the Springwood Ave Senior Center. We have one now at Second Baptist Church, which we really fought to get in churches. And um, then Gopal's doing, um, the senator's doing one in Asbury for any employee. So even if you don't live here, if you're an employee, yeah. um, that, that will, st- yeah, so so working. But can I just backtrack for a minute? So you started doing three days a week, people staying in their cars, similar to what was happening nationally in hospitals and nursing homes and all of that kind right. of stuff. Right. And now are you back to seven or five, or five yeah. days a week? We're, or- we're, yeah, well, six days a week now. We're still curbside. Uh, we've expanded our staff. Since then, we've hired eight new employees, um, including one full-time veterinarian. We just hired two more, so I guess that's considered 10. Um, and um, yeah, and is very- that a rise of people either getting their dogs checked out, getting more pets during the pandemic, or trying to keep things spaced out? Or I, uh, How busy we are? Is that what yeah. you're thinking? So yeah, I mean, I I, because we're a new business, it's really hard to know what the ebb and flow throughout the year is like when our, when our busy time is, you know, in our second year being open, our slow time was up through the winter this past year though, it has been just since March, you know, March and April, when things were slow, we've been like in our summer months for the past 12 months, basically Mm. with how busy we've been, we are still averaging the numbers we were uh, of new clients that we were we were doing in our first six months of being open, which is roughly 150 new patients yeah, on our on our um, uh, in our software uh, per month. So I guess it's some of it is is just people getting animals in in pan, in a pandemic. Um, I don't know. I, I think a big part of that is also Catsbury Park helping us with exposure. They have like 30 something thousand followers on their uh, social media platforms. And so, you know, they, they really helped us out a lot. So I, I don't really know what it is. Um, most vet clinics are pretty busy though. So I don't think it's just us. I think it's just, you know, we're apparently pandemic proof, you know? So I guess hopefully we can keep things up and stay so busy, but. Um, you know, so, so yeah. pizza and 
pizza and veterinarian practices or, or, and or, booze apparently yeah, and alcohol <laughs> i attribute drinking so much in the pandemic as be, not getting it i would I, when we were doing three days a week i was so stressed out i would like drink scotch every night and i swear uh, really <laughs> so you i don't know if there's it would be like four o'clock in like march and i'd <laughs> yeah. be like i'm just gonna i'm just yeah. gonna pour a gin drink because yeah yeah four yeah o'clock and, i mean where yeah eat. where else you going right nowhere um, yeah totally totally <laughs> Um, well, I, I will say this: my, when my doctor sees me again in person, she's gonna be like, "What the fuck happened to you? <laughs> like, like your blood sugars, like, every, like everything is that was all in line when you were last here is now out of whack, you know, because everything I threw everything into my diet, everything just everything's gone out the window, yeah. right? And you know, taking it back to animals, we are gonna see so much separation anxiety in these, you know, <sighs> six month old or, or four month old puppies to year and a half month uh, uh, year old puppies where where they haven't really been socialized or out of the house very much with their, their owners. So we're, we're having lots, I guess we should stock up on more Prozac for that reason. Cause it's probably going to happen. So. And if you were giving somebody advice who got a pet during the, well, can I, and, and we talked about this with Catsbury, like why anybody wants puppies or kittens is beyond me. Like I would <laughs> never get a puppy, right. As, as two people who have a small me. child, yeah. I would never have another child. And I would also never get a puppy or kitten again because it's so much work. I would only ever get a four five, six, seven uh, year yeah. old dog because I don't right. think I think people think they and, and JB talked about this you see a little kitten you see a little puppy and you right. yes I want to kiss it all day long but I don't want to get up every two hours to take it out <laughs> right right um yeah they're in, in, impulsive buys yeah I, I my friends ask me the same thing you know like oh should I get a puppy no you just get like a two-year-old dog if you want something that's gonna live a long life potentially and and you know you can still train it and work with them and and not come with some baggage or anything like that. So I'm sorry. Was there, there, I, no, no, no. That was just my commentary on how yeah, I don't want yeah. puppies and kittens. <laughs> well, I, I do have a question I can follow. So since everyone's running out and getting pets, as a vet, and so without, you know, I don't want you to maybe offend some of your clients. Are there pets? There are animals that people have as pets that should not be pets that you have an opinion on. Like, like obviously, I'm thinking alligators, right? No, you really shouldn't have a bad idea. Or exotics, exotics that are probably not the best idea. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, surprisingly, I have not had, and that's such a, that's such a question from like my high school friends. Like, what's the craziest pet you've seen so far? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a guy that I, uh, that I was working at a place in, uh, in Alabama. My wife was a, an emergency vet there when I was in school and I was her technician doing like overnights and this sugar glider breeder came huh. in with, a um he had a little fanny pack on and he had like four or five sugar gliders jammed in there one of them was very sick and this guy was hysterically crying he had his bluetooth in and he was talking to what he said who he said was the world's top sugar glider breeder in and and he has more information so that was very strange um i haven't seen any any crazy stuff though i mean people bring in stuff that they find outside all the time you know uh, squirrels with broken legs and birds that ran into windows and things like that but i haven't got any like you know seven foot pythons or anything <laughs> like that come in i had so, to look up a i had to look up google sugar glider while you're talking about it. <laughs> i yeah. actually know what sugar they're adorable they are adorably looking they are. Yeah, yeah. So, i don't but, think i want one as a pet though and uh, i don't know 
Well, so I'll tell you, for our son, we were trying to figure out because we were, you know, the typical, like, you can you can get a pet at five uh, of some <laughs> sort. Now he already has two dogs. So it was like um, uh, the dragon. What is it? Bearded dragon or like yeah, a... Yeah, so we, we yeah. bearded dragon, fish, hamster. And I really didn't mm. want hamsters or like... I don't know. I just didn't want to deal with that or birds. Anyway, he, he thankfully picked a beta fish, which is about as easy as it gets. So I got off very, very lucky in, in picking a fish. Very well, good. Um, well, birds. But are... I did a whole what is the best pet for you know kids, which you also I assume that's a tough question you get, right? Yeah, the best pet. So um, I'm a dog person. You know, I love cats. Yeah. I wish I could have cats, but my dogs uh, are cat aggressive. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a dog person and I'll even narrow it down to best breed Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. I've never met a mean one. They're the sweetest dogs ever. But again, I can only think of like the cardiovascular problems that they get <laughs> and the mitral valve issues huh. and the allergies issues. But that's they're, if they're purebreds, right? Purebreds come with those well, issues or that's the other thing. Everything is, everybody's mixing poodles with things nowadays. So they have, like, <laughs> have a poo, which, so yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I'm all about uh, adopt, don't shop, but, yeah. but yeah, that's uh, if one falls in my lap, I would keep it probably. Yeah. Uh, my first girlfriend um, from high school had, they were nuts about the Cavalier King Charles and they, and they are cute as cute can be. Yeah. They're like super, super cute dogs. Right. Um, I, I cut Joe off and I just don't want to, we can't go away from, I do want to talk about the fatigue, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah, the compassion fatigue, fatigue. Mm -hmm. and, and also like, I don't know about you, but when you see like, so at the Humane Society, which is a tough place. Right. And, um, you would start to see that Walter is the dog in the kennel who circled and circled and until his paws were bloody. And, yeah. and we knew that was the beginning of the end. So we're like, just take Walter. And then George was the dog that bit everybody. So we were like, take that dog. Right. right let's take these dogs. Just get these yeah. goddamn dogs. So I was going to talk to you a little bit about like, um, you know, the fatigue. The fatigue yeah. I saw in rescues yeah. and shelters and also the fatigue you have to see with from beginning to end euthanasia, the rescues, the abuse cases, just just how you how you kind of cope with that. And I'll, that. I'll, I'll admit that's one more reason why I opened my own clinic is so that I could establish my own hours. I I, I don't see myself doing this until I'm most vets will will die on the job. They won't retire. They'll work themselves to death. I wanted my own way out. And this was my, you know, on top of that, you know, if you want to add to the list of downsides of the veterinary world, uh, my wife and I came out of vet school and undergrad uh, with exorbitant student debt, you know, which is a huge problem for everybody, but exorbitant. Um, and, uh, and so this was a way out to pay my student debt, make my own schedule, but also limit my hours and limit my exposure to so many heartbreaking cases and so many heartbreaking stories. Um, Cause I know that this is, this is going to weigh on both of us. We, you know, we, I'm fortunate that I come home to another veterinarian that understands and we can talk about our day. She works with me. So, I mean, I talk to her during the day as well uh, about uh, the things that are making us sad, the things that are making us angry. Um, and we try not to, we try to leave it at work if we can, but it's impossible there is a recent, I don't know. So I have a ton of friends on Facebook, so I see this all the time, but there is a support group for veterinarians called not one more vet. And it's a, um, 
it's specifically, it's a Facebook group, you know, where veterinarians can just go and like post their bad reviews that their client left with them about how heartless and, and how we, we didn't do our job and how we only cared about money. I mean, it's totally ridiculous, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I take that crap home. Uh, it's impossible not to lose sleep over it. The case that doesn't go well for whatever reason, you know? Um, but, um, but yeah, veterinarians have a high rate of suicide higher than, you know, while we're the high, one of the most trusted we're where I think we've exceeded dentists in, in suicide rates because of our exorbitant student debt, compassion, fatigue, access to controlled drugs, um, low pay, most, most situations, you know? So this was my way out to figure out, you know, to give you a little bit more about like why I even opened a business on top of, of this was to, to have a way out to be able to retire on my own terms, to leave it for somebody else, but also to, to mentor new veterinarians. Uh, you know, I just interviewed one today and that was part of our, our conversation was, you know, you're a fourth year vet student. You know, I don't think they're teaching you anything about compassion fatigue or mental health or like, you know, how to just take a break or a breath or like time to meditate. Like, like that needs to be instituted in, in new grads, new veterinarians, because there was something on the reason I brought up not one more vet is because on the same Facebook group, they had posted that like just last week or two weeks ago, three people from that group alone, they had known had killed themselves that week. One, two veterinarians, one uh, technician, you know, um, it's, we're, we're, we're exhausted. We're overworked. We deal with a lot of angry clients too, you know, and it's hard not, we don't lose our cool. Right. But we just have to remember why we're doing it. And it's for the animals. And that's usually what makes us feel so bad is, you know, we fired clients in the past year too, because of what they're going through. And most of them are, are not angry at you. They're just angry that their pet is sick or they feel guilty that they ignored the signs or symptoms for so long and they will never never tell you this but when you just take a moment to connect with them and you're two hours behind on appointments but you've been having the same conversation with this client trying to earn their trust and some you win some you don't win it it is exhausting you know um and then they still go online and leave you a bad review (laughs) They yelp, you, they yelp you out the door. Right? Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten over my bed. We lost our five stars last year with a client. Mm. And I just mm. said, okay, fine. That good. I'm glad yeah. that happened. We got a one star review. I can move on now. Um, but, yeah, I have to limit my Facebook. It's not good for my mental health. Like somebody, somebody messengered me this weekend for a good cause. Uh, she was, she wanted to give out food and I didn't get to it till like 48 hours. And I was like, you got to email me Facebook. I, I, it, it is not good for my mental health. Oh. It, 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 if you're not talking shit about me or talking shit about the city yeah, or talking yeah, shit yeah. about whatever, then you're, then you're saying like misogynist or racist or like there's, I, I get very little good out of Facebook. Right. Yeah. But as no, a business I, owner, you need to be on it, right? That's, that's, right. That's, as a politician, I need yeah. to be yeah. on it as well. <laughs> That's, and that's right. As a new business owner, I need to talk to my clients. I need to know what they like, what they don't like, what they're happy about, who has an attitude when they answer the phone and how, you know, that's, it's putting out fires. You're a politician. You, you put out fires, you know, it's, you want everybody to like you and you, and you realize that that's impossible, you know? Um, right. So that's been very challenging and not just the past year, it's gotten worse the past year because everyone, you know, with the high rate of unemployment, right. And nobody, so many people can't afford their bills. And then they, they give us the guilt trip on, on, you know, we can't just, how, how are you going to just let their pet suffer? We're not going to let their pet suffer, but 
the end of the day, I have to pay my staff. You know, I have to pay for these supplies. I have to keep the lights on. And so that's, that adds to the compassion fatigue. It is every veterinarian should have a therapist that they talk to uh, weekly. You know, mine is my wife and, and it's, she's not trained, but we at least vent and talk. And, and I've recently, I bought, I bought everyone, all my staff, um, the, um, oh my God, what is the app called? Calm. The meditation app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we yeah, are now, yeah. we're going to implement like 10 minutes. Everybody gets 10 minutes to go off and just like listen to a sleep tape or daydream or do whatever to just <laughs> shut it down so that they can just, you know, because it's going to, it trickles down too. You know, if there's, it's good for business that everybody is in a good state of mind because, you know, otherwise we're going to not take, not take it out on the animals, but give an attitude to the client. Um, and then they're going to think you're taking it out on their animal and then you're going to lose clients from it too. So if everyone's happy, the animal's happy, the clients are happy. That's but, what we're going to get back to. Yeah. But if you're a client listening now, you have to realize that you you're, when you mentioned student debt, I don't think the average person understands the level. Like, you know, friends of mine who are doctors, when they talk about a student debt crisis, when you see it on TV, if you don't, if you're not carrying that level of debt, you're not, it's, it's opaque to many people how much of a burden it is on all professional services. Like, so every professional who required an advanced degree, your therapist, your vet, your doctor, they need to be paid. And before they can take home money to pay their own to buy food, they have to pay that back a portion of student loan. So there's a, um, yeah. you're, you're stuck, right? And the, the, with, with clients who are unhappy, yes, it costs money, but it also means I, that's how much it costs to turn on the lights here. I need to pay this, right? So it's yeah. A, yeah. it is a problem. It's a problem. And, and that's exhausting having to explain, like you should put it on our <laughs> website. You know, some clinics have, they've, they've posted statements just saying like, please be kind. Here's what we're dealing with. You know, you should put like the debt, uh, the debt, remember the debt clock in Times Square. You should put it on the door and be like, when this reaches zero, our rates will come down. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. Cause Oh my God, I'm going to come to work in like shorts and a t-shirt every day. And, uh, great. But no, we get clients that come to us and they say like, you know, you, you're, you just gave my dog a rabies vaccine. Why did that cost 65, $70? It's like, uh, you know, I did an exam on your dog too. And they don't, they don't see the value in that. Like this animal can't tell me where it's hurting, what it's yeah. doing. I use my, my nose, my eyes, my, you know, my, my senses, all of my senses to talk to this animal, to then go through a process in my head. Like that, that is what you're paying for. You're not paying for the rabies vaccine, the rabies vaccine. But also like, don't they know how dangerous rabies is and it's protecting them? <laughs> like, <laughs> They don't. You guys, right. I mean, we could talk about that too. Oh my goodness. People that come in and tell us my dog does not need rabies. It does not expose to rabies. I said, good. I'm glad your dog is not exposed to rabies. Rabies is not for your pet. It's for us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like they don't realize that. He's like, listen, it's hundred percent fatal in humans. So if you want to run that risk, you know, well, and, and as much as people are complaining, you Dr. Tom, they're complaining to the city. Cause we're yeah. like, you got to get your license and you got to yeah. get your rabies shot. And when I say to people, I got bit by a dog and I had to go get rabies shots. And it was the, this is probably 10, 15 years ago, the most unpleasant experience I've probably had in years. It was that bad. And it was a dog from yeah. the Asbury towers. I was over there. I was, I don't know on that beach, but listen, we are coming up on the five o'clock hour and we yeah. got to get you um, yeah, we have to wrap up, but we want to, to say a couple of things. Um, Dr. Tom, just give us your, your handles, your, your Twitter. I follow you on Instagram and, and see all your adorable pictures there and your website and you're taking yeah. new clients. And so, uh, we are city by the sea vet AP, I think on Instagram. Are I... you looking right now? I see you yeah, like, oh, because shit, I, I feel... get my phone. 
I believe it's City by the Sea. I'm almost positive. I follow. Anyway, Joe will get it and he'll put it out. He'll put the proper wording up of it. Yeah, we'll and you are it. taking you're yeah, taking new just clients just to give everyone people. Yes. Yeah, we are. We're maybe getting to a point where we're slow down because we are. There's only social media platforms we really keep up with so far. Did I lose you? Did you lose me? Yeah. yeah no. And, I think we got we got the gist. We know we got your social media uh, handle and your website. Okay. And um and you that you are accepting new clients. And did I forget anything, Joe? What are you listening or watching anything good right now, Dr. Tom, that you would want you would encourage other people to listen or watch? Are you listening to any podcasts or watching anything on Netflix? Any good? Oh man. Um my wife has gotten me into armchair expert with Dak Shepard, experts on experts. <laughs> I've I've listened to that, yeah. <laughs> it's so cheesy sometimes, but he interviews some of like the um yeah, these like I've really started following like uh, this organizational psychologist. I think he is. I can't remember his name, but I just downloaded some of his audiobooks, and it's just like I don't know. It's brilliant stuff that like it just I don't know. I feel like it really applies to the stressful world of of dealing with uh, of of the veterinary, the animal, um, the pet owning community as well. As far as what we're watching, I don't know what we're watching. We just finished. Um, oh my god, this creepy, creepy show on Netflix called like Behind Her Eyes or something. Like yeah. That. Oh, don't give it away because I'm two. I'm three episodes in. So it's, it's so boring. It's so slow. But the only reason we kept it's watching slow. was just to find out like why everybody's so. Well, somebody told me there's a lesbian element, which is the only reason I'm watching. <laughs> so please confirm <laughs> that for me, Doctor Tom, or else I can stop watching it. I now. believe there is. Okay. <laughs> So, so you'll get an episode four out of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'll get thirty seconds of the lesbian element, and then uh, and put in seven hours well, on that goddamn. You know, show. I I haven't recommended it. You know, in all these weeks we've been doing this, Amy, I don't think I've recommended any shows. But Rita and I binged on Netflix Mindy Kaling's uh, show Never Have I Ever, which is her awkward high school teen drama. Oh, I've totally watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I loved fair, it. That was very, very good. And, Fabulous. Uh, you know. You know, I kept having to pause for the embarrassing parts. Like, oh my god, I got to steal myself to get through this next part. But <laughs> if you, you know, if you were a nerd in high school, it was a. Uh, um, and a I will do one plug as well. So I watched. Uh, so I don't know if you guys grew up in. I grew up in in the burbs where we went to video stores and and going to video stores and new releases and all of that. So there's a blockbuster Netflix that goes through the whole video store industry and what happened to it. Anyway, it's really interesting. Yeah. As a person who probably as a, when I lived in Jersey City, I kid you not, I had to join more than two video stores because I went so often I felt like a loser. So I would only go to one on Wednesday and one on Tuesday. And that way, if I had a few different cards, I didn't feel like the biggest loser that I was there. Yeah. Um, but thank you, Dr. Tom. Thank you, Ming. Yeah, really appreciate um, it. Yeah, sure. this will probably be up in about a week, Dr. Tom. We'll send it to you. Um, sure. But thank you so much for taking the time. And we're happy yeah. to be your first podcast. Yeah, yeah, this is exciting. I hope it's. I, I hope you guys this was it. back. No, this was totally interesting. I mean, literally uh, 60 totally. minutes went by and I, I didn't Same. even notice we could easily have kept going because, yeah, like, you know, it's more expensive than rabies shots, human rabies shots. You know, we, we could go on for, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm, I'm going to have you be my mouthpiece, Joe, for every time people complain to me about getting the dog. Yeah, medicine. I'm, I'm, gonna be I'm like, team Dr. Out. T on this. Like this. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, yeah. Dr. Tom. You can find Dr. Tom in his practice at citybythesevet.com or on Instagram at citybythesevet.com.